I know now what I want to say in my intro for my podcast. I'm going to start with a warning to other creatives. Create like it's your last podcast, last graphic, last painting, last blog post. There's so many forces out there that want us to be bland, and that is not possible with this fro. I have too many thoughts about celebrating us, reading what I want to read, pointing out donkeys, what links us together and shouldn't tear us apart. I also give you bonus content through Ten Fro's Bar on my Patreon and if you become a melanated nerd. I also will share content about getting the real tea on reality TV. Join me in this episode of Tim Froh is reading for the wild ride. And thank you for listening. I am ecstatic. I'm hopeful by the time this episode publishes that I will be well over um, 280 downloads. Who would have thought? I keep saying this. Just over a year ago, before I started my marketing push and I made some changes in editing, that I would be at this point in my podcast journey. A lot of things have changed since I even went to PodFest down in Orlando I wish I could have did that um, differently. I wish I had found out about it sooner, taken more time to drive. I wish I didn't tow, have to tow my car down there. Hindsight's always 2020. It's easier to just, especially in a place like Orlando, um, to just have a rental car and to be able to go back and forth um, because you can't really tow an electric car in the conventional sense. But just getting more information about how, like for tax purposes and for um, improving the business of your podcast, um, my journey to getting sponsorships has been long and arduous, but I'm hopeful for my increasing my unique listeners, getting it pushed out to every corner of the planet. I'm still enjoying my five-star reviews um, and just being able to create things that inspire other people to create. Uh, Carl Swanepoel had um, actually posted the episode, one of the episodes that I interviewed him in on his pod, his uh, website, Revelancer. It's pretty dope. I'm still just interested in books and the history of it all, you know, America's shady past, it's over 300, what, 300, 400 years old. There's 400 years of shade that I'm willing to uncover. And I get to learn something um, in the mid, in, in the interim. And I get to share that with the listening public. And for all my unique listeners and for everyone that dropped me five-star reviews, thank you. Butterfly in the sky, I can go twice as high. 
take a look. It's in a book. A reading tin full. I can go anywhere. Friends to know. Ways to grow. A reading tin Reading tin Reading Welcome to another episode of Woke History. And this day I'm going a little bit in on white liberals. I don't want to harbor hate because that's what I'm not all about. I want people to know their history and know it unbiased and from a different perspective. I'm not little. Well, I'm kind of big. I think I weigh more than Malcolm X probably ever did, but I won't expunge the hatred that was his message in the 60s. I won't, that's not what I want to do. I still want to be positive, but I want to present an unvarnished history as it were. For example, in 1963, this was, I think, the year before John JFK was murdered. He will go on as one of the youngest, as well as one of the greatest revered presidents of these United States. His brother, I permanently think of him or think of uh, Bobby Kennedy as another friend of black folks and complete nepotism got him his job as attorney general. And he was gunned down, but he was completely clueless. These dorky, rich, uber-rich white boys had knew nothing about race and were not going to do anything about race until their hand was forced. This was also in the chaos, the chaotic 60s, where we had wars and rumors of wars, where white imperialism and U.S., foreign policy was destabilizing Central Asia with it, with our intervention in the Laos Civil War, the destabilization and the subsequent extended Vietnam War. We put it as a guise to fight communism, but they still took over anyways. But we damned them to years between economic sanction and that destructive Vietnamese War, which we should have never been over there. But we thought that we could bring our brand of democracy everywhere because, again, white savior. But I digress. I was thoroughly confused about Herbert Humphrey, who was the VP for LBJ. LBJ was the VP that took over after Kennedy was murdered. They and his brother. Because very well, Bobby Kennedy could have been the next 
uh, U.S. president, but it was never meant to be. They had to do the one-two punch. They had to get rid of both of them. And don't get me wrong, just like I think Herbert Hoover, the head of the FBI, ordered the hit on both Malcolm X as well as uh, Martin Luther King, although he probably just released the Kraken. They had illegal taps. They knew what was coming, but they did nothing to stop it. That I honestly think that makes them complicit in their death. But again, did they put the hands in the guns, the guns in the hands of these people? Probably not. But they lit the match and the match went boom and there fell two great leaders for our community. One of the things that I was, I've been really interested in is our switch from Republicanism to Democrat. I've always said this. I could never understand how Republic, how black people can be Republicans. And I understood it because Abraham Lincoln freed us and we have the, what is it? The 13th, 14th and 15th amendments, but it would take another almost a hundred years before any of it would be enforced. And then it would take another 20 years to get more like voting rights and et cetera. I think, and this is my personal opinion, JFK, and you can check the history books, JFK knew he could not win his presidency without garnering our vote. According to what I've read up on, out of a, like, it sounds, oh God, it sounds like today, Less than, there were 11 million people that were black folks in the United States in the run-up to the 1960s election. And not all of us voted. Only like 2 million people, almost a little over, maybe close to 3 million people showed up to vote during that crucial election. And you know how Kennedy won? Because at the same time, Martin Luther King was jailed in Atlanta. And the Attorney General of the United States, Robert F. Kennedy, and JFK got involved and basically continued to make uh, phone calls to get him released. And I just wish that they would have been truthful. I think it was a political stunt. That one call or two calls to not only the governor of uh, Georgia as well as to Coretta Scott King, convincing him that, yes, please release this man and release him with no bullet holes in him before they burn the jail down. Because we 
need him, not just in the movement, but we just don't like the look and we don't want his death at this time because it would be another six years before he was actually murdered. We don't need his death on our hands. But it had nothing to do with JFK being some patriot. He had some socialist leanings, but if you look at that speech that JFK gave, I don't think it was inauguration speech, but as he was campaigning for the presidency, he basically mentioned people of that were running from the czars of Western, Western European and Eastern European descent, or just European descent. He didn't care. He had, we were never mentioned as a group of people, even though we were here and had been in trials and travails for over 400 years, we were still fighting for civil rights, even though we had been freed in 65 or 64, the Emancipation Proclamation freed us, 13th, 14th, 15th Dominion gave us full citizenship, right to vote, but because of poll taxes and American size apartheid in the South, known as Jim Crow, we would still have to fight for another 100 years just to get the basic means for citizenship. He mentioned civil rights, but he did not have a plan to basically give us our reparations and get rid of Jim Crow and bring equality to all men, not just for the people of European descent, but what about the other 80% of the world, other black and brown people across the world? What about the black people right here in this country that were being, still being lynched, still, still being killed wantonly, still suffering from police brutality? Oh, wait. Does that sound what's going on now? Yeah, it does. Because we're still living in a very, it's not, a lot of the perversions that we had to deal with uh, through Jim Crow before the 60s and civil rights, we're still having to march and get our rights back now. Because we got people like Fuhrer DeSantis getting booed when there's, we, get, we keep having these mass shootings where we're being targeted for just being who we are. There is a, a very aggressive and very blatant racism that is being propagated uh, by this conservative administration, conservative, this new fascist conservatism is what I, it really makes people like me that really don't like people at all, but we still, but we still know we have to exist. And we always have an exit plan because we need to know if we got to be able to get the ham, ham sandwich out if something really pops off. But we give everybody the side eye for a lot of reasons. I just wish, even though, let me go to Malcolm X now. Malcolm X, when you read this, his uh, message from the 1960s, it was about hatred for the white race. It was all about separatism. 
And I'm not in agreement with that at all because he basically towards the end of his life and his firm conversion to Orthodox Muslim, being an Orthodox, Orthodox Islam, he basically reverted back on some of the stuff. But what I do agree with him is the deceitful nature of a white liberal. And these are his words exactly. Our politics, the Negroes, the race problem, the integration, and civil rights issue are nothing but tools used by one group of whites called liberals against another group of whites called conservatives, either to get into power or to remain in power. Among whites here in America, the political teams are no longer divided into Democrats and Republicans. You got that right. The whites are now struggling for the control of American political throne, are dividing into liberal and conservative camps. The white liberals from both parties cross lines to work together towards the same goal, either to stay in power or to gain more power. The liberal is more deceitful than the conservative. The liberal, libel, liars, is more hypocritical than a conservative. Both want power, but the white liberal is the one who has perfected the art of posing as the Negro friend and benefactor. And by winning the friendship, allegiance, and support of the Negro, the white liberal is able to use the Negro as a pawn and tool in his political football game that is constantly raging between white liberals and white conservatives. I rock football. I don't want to be in this back and forth. And what the playing field is now is I don't trust. I'm a down heart Democrat. I tell people this all the time. I voted for Republicans one time, hardcore when I was a resident in Texas, and I voted, voted for G-Dub. But will I, do I trust any Republicans? No. I... I can own, when people tell you who they are, believe them. If the Democrats were just like the Republicans, instead of saying, oh, we support you, we go make some token appointments like JFK did, have all these high-ranking people, uh, black folks in uh, different parts of the administration, and then do absolutely nothing to basically right the wrongs of the New Deal and of white supremacy. If they were just like the Republicans and said this. Talk about the rules, all right? Hello. No, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna. just tell us that and then we could decide to Herschel Walker our way into their being even after they date basically they don't care about us so why are we making allegiance to that party because the alternative is chump and nobody wants that so we continue to support Democrats when they basically have been lying to us since the election of FDR, we we're just we are pawns, we are tokens, 
and we have these token gains, but what have you done for us lately? That's what I want to ask. And Malcolm X in the 60s, February 1960s, called them out for just that. He basically was like, we don't want integration. We want separation. And then we want y'all to pay for it. But then if you don't convert to Islam, all of y'all are going to be destroyed. Could not. I can't float with that. And I can't vote. I can't flow with separation. But what I can cotton to is if you are going to be woke and realize the racial improprieties that have lasted for several centuries in this country, and it's still, the racial divide is still present, and it still is forming policy. If you won't recognize that and do what you need to do to stem the tide of racism, don't have any token programs, because those programs are not for me. I'm not the one that's the issue. What I am is the issue is if you realize what it is, you need to fix it and stamp it out. I don't think going through one class every couple of years is going to stamp out racism. It's just not because there's too many passive aggressions, too many microaggressions, too many overt, covert things that are going on and what policies are being made and how hard people go for all the wrong things. Before I'm going to cape from, for someone, I'm going to need to know the reality and the truth. The reality of the truth is JFK, for the short time that he was president, was and is still a great president. It's not going to tarnish his image for re knowing the realities of what he stood for. The reality of what he stood for was a moral issue to actually have civil rights for all people. But his basis and his focus was not on African-Americans. He was more, again, people of true European descent. And if we were to make any gains while they tried to right the wrongs of the, the guys that helped build New York when it wasn't us, the steamboat operator, the, the people that worked in the sweatshops uh, and maintain the industry, but we are also the guys that basically wash the, the crap off the floors in Chicago of the butcheries and the commercial food processing and how dangerous it was. You know, he was with workers' comp and we basically just be, got recognized and we had those same protections. Segregation was still rampant until the Freedom Riders on, on the bus, where we didn't have to sit in the back of the bus, where not only we had to stamp out these racist laws on a state level, we had to make it on a national level. Because, and, and to enforce it, not just recognize and outlaw it, but what are you going to do or willing to do to enforce these integration laws? What have you done? You want our votes, but what have you done to make me safe in my home so I won't get capped when they do these no-knock warrants and kill me in my bed? In a house I'm paying the mortgage on. What are you doing to change that? What have you done to basically make the Louisville uh, Police Department pay for that mess? 
We saw what happened with George Floyd in the protests with Black Lives Matter. But what has changed and about police brutality, over-policing, being pregnant women being shot in a Kroger store, for what? She was unarmed. What have you, what changes have been made that you ran on end of corruption and a revision of the anti-crime in this country, the gun laws? What is going to keep the next person from performing or going through with the next mass shooting where all we can't even be safe in the damn church, you know, in Bible study of all people? People like me, I'm always going, I'm a Christian in work, work in progress, but I don't feel safe going to church. I'll see you online, bruh, because number one, you cleared it into the COVID epidemic, but the numbers are going back up. Nobody's wearing the mask and nobody's getting vaccinated because of all the rhetoric and stupidness of the last administration. We're still smarting from that. What are you doing? What does it really mean to be a liberal? Let me see. I basically had sent to myself basically JFK, the subject of this, this segment on woke history. He basically defined it. Liberal means human dignity as a source of national purpose and human liberty as the source of national action and the human heart as a source of national compassion, and in the human mind as a source of invention and our ideas. I believe this faith is our fellow citizens as individuals and as people that lies at the heart of liberal faith. I do believe he was going to give that rap as he doesn't see color, um, and that's why all men are equal, but not recognizing that Recognizing someone's color has something to do with their interactions with you, with the world. You have to recognize color and what that means in this society. And he was a politician to the core. He never really pushed the civil rights agenda. He made some token appointments because he still didn't want to piss off the Southern politicians. He knew he had to work with them and not as covertly, but then he had to basically call in the National Guard to just get one dude to be able to go to class at Ole Miss. Because sometimes you got to by hook or by crook, and they only respond to force. And what is it going to take for us to be able to be to truly see the fruits? of this uh, democracy and equality. I do believe democracy is on a precipice now, either do or don't. But we can't have this conservative, this fascist conservative swing, this cruel agenda of the conservatives, are now we're gonna see the pendulum swing back to the middle. And everything from the last administration, previous administration between Obama and Clinton basically rectifying the ills of the chump years and this fascism years and basically embracing the tenets of what makes our democracy work. Not imposing it on the rest of the world, 
but really trying to go back to what really truly makes a democracy work without turning a blind eye to the inequities, but doing what we can to not make the to make the inequities lessen, to basically get a, a hold on the economy, get a hold on these microaggressions and a lot of these policies that are meant to dumb down the general public. And knowing your history so you won't repeat the errors of the past. No, I don't believe in separatism, but I do believe in calling a spade a spade. If you're just going to say the right things to get me to vote for you um, and with no action, we're going to have a problem. But what I won't do is ever vote for a whole group that all they have wanted to do in the last 175 years is to remove the rights of women and people and persons of color and the L and beat back all the gains on the LGBTQ community. But don't get it twisted. Malcolm X's speech was rife with hatred and with separatism and was also was little had little bit of homophobic tendencies. But what I do agree with him is calling out the deceit on white liberalism, recognizing it for what it is, and knowing that people now are aware of your deceptiveness and your lies. And you can't keep lying to us and expect us to continue to vote for you or to side with you. I'm not going to cape for anybody that's going to lie to me with a straight face. Y'all are not good at it. And that's why I'm always going to end it. Stay woke because of the nonsense that's going on and looking at the pattern. Liberalism, liberals were more and still are pretty brave for speaking out for what is wrong um, in the 60s when it wasn't cool. But a liberal politician is a contradiction in terms because a politician is going to just, what do I need to do to remain in power and to gain more power? So I'm gonna be giving you the side eye until you show and prove on all of the things that you want to do. That's why Casio, um, I think is gonna have, if she has not already learned, how are you gonna be able to work with people? Hold on to the, your idealistic past and get the work done and do your damn job without getting caught up in this power hunger and power grab that is DC. And also knowing that JFK and Robert Kennedy were both great statesmen for their race, but they also had some issues because both of them got capped by crazies, I'm sure, probably ordered by the government that they so willingly supported, but that's neither here nor there, but early on in their career, they weren't caping for us. They weren't even checking for us. And we got to know that before you hang that uh, old photostatic copy of his picture on the wall, knowing who that person really was and what they did in the short time that they served the American public. That's all I want you guys to know. Our history is rich with a lot of lessons. And if we would take those lessons and take them in stride and knowing the whole story actually will make us, will make us more well-rounded and make us able to 
make better choices about who should be in government and who should actually be our leaders. And if the leader's actually good, because we now we know what we can compare them to. And getting into the specifics, a lot, all this stuff is online. You can get even access today to how your state and national senators and representatives vote and what they vote on and what their type of bills and things that they are actually presenting. If they're doing their job or they just rotting out the clock to collect the check, if they're actually serving the people that actually voted them in. I don't think you need to be a Democrat or a Republican to do that research because all of it's available to you online. And that's all I got to say about that. It's my homegirl, Aquita J.L. Moore, Najee. Lift every chair and swing till all them white folks scream. Thought y'all could run up on our black king. I'm glad the squad pulled up, dedicated to knock if you buck. May it resound loud as the rolling sea. Throw your hats high in the air until Unc comes with the chair. Swim the seas until our cousins come and they rescue me. Let this be a lesson to y'all. Remember the Montgomery brawl where white folks fucked around and they found out. Why do we hate, or black folks hate, Ron DeSantis? Let us count the ways. We hate you for your anti-woke, cruel campaign. We were hating you before the NAACP gave us a warning to keep away from Florida at this time. We hate you because the only person that is willing to stand up to you is other vermin. Mickey Mouse is basically told you to kiss his black ass. So you're lucky Reggie Ray and them didn't throw a chair at your stupid butt. You're going to get booed at these tragedies because you're doing everything to remove the comments of real teaching of slavery, real teaching about how racism affects policies even today. You are removing uh, sensitivity training and basically dumbing down the public school system and public university system until it makes a mockery of general education. You are a mockery. You don't care at all about the people of your state, other people in this nation. You just are a power grab. And you're making, trying to make Florida a safe haven for chump. But that jail that you are planning and the restrictions that you are planning for me are going to be the same one, same that are going to hang you. 
that are going to make you unelectable in Florida and I'm hopeful on a national platform. You talked out the side of your neck for the last several years. You've made some policies that have, and also made some appointments even within your administration in Florida that make me look at you crazy and waging war on people that talk against you and that are not for you. We got one that is possibly going to jail. I'm hopeful. You got 91 counts. And you're still going down this road of fascism. And you think those black folks and, and oh, redrew a whole congressional district in the favor of white Republicans and at the detriment of all those blue Democrats, African-Americans in Jacksonville, because that's where that tragedy was. And you do, you really didn't think they weren't going to boo your ass off the stage? Boy, you got another thing coming, coming to Duval County like that, thinking you're going to continue to lie in our and play in our faces. We just fresh off the Montgomery brawl. You need to go sit down somewhere for real. Why wouldn't I start out with pop culture and chump woes? I mean, come on. He keeps one. Let's just dial that back. We are some creative mugs, aren't we? Black folks are crazy. And that's Rita. What's his child's name? Um, Rita Brent um, singing chump and getting by, got, getting got by Rico. I think that's pretty dope. It also goes to how, how dope we are, how creative we are. I've never, since the hat throwing and Montgomery brawl, brawl, this is one unifying thing with black folks. We're coming up on the creative side, looking at this fool. How you gonna have 91 state and federal charges? They keep adding up. He keeps getting bonded out. Um, and he just and he's still a viable contender for the presidency for the on the GOP ticket. Do y'all really want that dude, this criminal, representing us? And there are some people that will vote for him just because. And why does some judiciary committee keep coming out and they're saying, "Well, uh, I hope they didn't use federal money to help prosecute him." Why wouldn't they? He literally tried to overturn the, the election. He was cheating. And he's a federal employee. I mean, technically, so why can't they use? Oh, y'all gonna have to come up with a better one of these, trying to censor people that are going after a real criminal. I think y'all, that is just some dumb foolishness right there. Also on foolishness, people that should stay off the interwebs, Doja Cat got unfollowed by 800,000 people. She's calling her fans beast. 
What is that about? Because she wrote a letter of support to that fool, Tory Lanez, who got rightfully, I think they were too easy on him. He needed more. And they should have also tacked on as soon as he serves his time. He needs to get uh, kicked out of the country. But she's calling because he literally assaulted Meg Thee Stallion, literally, and then tried to drag her. And so with that said, all of y'all, she needs to really stop it. And she lost 800,000 followers. I'm just trying to get up to over 50. She still got 25 million people still following her. And she is the most disrespectful star I've ever seen. Also, I saw also on the interwebs, um, Candy taking shots with Riley, uh, Riley Burris, who is just turned 21. Number one, she looks really good. That is Riley. Um, she looks like a younger version with those cat eyes of her grandmother and her dad. It, they look so similar. The eye structure, face structure looks so similar. It almost makes me think that could she be, is blocked distantly related to Mama Joyce? I don't know. But she does look an awful lot like him. Um, and that was funny because she's notoriously known for not drinking. That's candy bars. Anyways. Also, X is a.k.a. Twitter. Seem to now be monetizing uh, masters of messiness and chaos. And it's just proven what would you do or type to go viral. People, since you can't block anybody anymore, people are literally losing their freaking minds. Um, I've made the leap to um, streams. Um the Facebook platform, I will be officially off of Twitter, of X or whatever it is as of September 1st, unless there is a major buyback and Elon no longer owns the pro the platform, unless they revert back and have some of the same safeties as they've had in the past. I, there's no reason for me even to cruise that platform anymore. So streams is what I'm officially on. And if you want to, whatever you have to do to get a million impressions, to get 0.001% uh, CPM, I don't think that's even worth it. So I'm not going to put crazy stuff, hurtful stuff, and untruthful things on that platform or on social media in general just to get streamed, just to get increase my impressions. That part of it is not worth it, and I'm not a troll. <laughs> also, I'm back from PTO, which I'm sure I'm should be called prepared the others for my return. Because when you go on vacation and then you realize sleep deprivation is a bitch, and what happens when you take advantage of getting good sleep by taking a, like an Advil sleep a couple of days in a row. You're, you don't have painful, swollen joints, and you get you are knocked the fuck out for a minimum of six hours uninterrupted sleep, and you come up with stupid things to actually uh, talk about on your podcast. And it actually, you can hear the excitement in my voice because I'm well-rested and I absolutely feel good.
and I can start my day off rolling my eyes because you realize I get paid an awful grip to not do a whole bunch of work. And for that, I'll be always thankful. Also, gratitude and thankfulness. This, I guess this is a good lead up to my next section, um, The Shady Bunch, because Todd and Candy's movie, The Past, dropped yesterday on the 27th on Peacock. And I do have a lot to say about it. I plan on taking a deeper dive into that on this next episode. And this is probably the last time they were allowed because I found out that Candy could not even post about it because she's SAG um, and everybody's on strike. And for what it is, eh, it, was, it wasn't all that bad, but I was just, it's just weird how close that movie mirrors Drew Sador's real life. And she's really still not telling a whole bunch. They made it official in March of 2023 that her and her old raggedy Tommy not having a job void uh, husband uh, are filed for divorce. And she claimed infidelity on his part. He's counterclaiming. And it could all, all be lies, which I think is just stupid. But there you go. So check that movie out. I thought for it's streaming on TV. I think they got paid well, and I, I hope they got paid well. And I'm waiting to see because it's like at the end of the movie, it's a teaser to what a possible second part. I think they need to, they should, and they probably are going to cast a new lead. Uh, and Drew Sador is probably not going to be in part two unless she goes after him to get her cash back. But I don't know. But it's, it's all right for what it is. The Shade Bunch, the Shade Bunch. I hope turning up for checks to pay for fake lifestyles were to be a part of the Shady Bunch. Here we go with the past. I watched it once, and then I think I had to watch the ending a couple of times because I did not understand it it kind of left you as a cliffhanger. For my listeners that hadn't possibly gotten to that pre the previous section, the past is a Todd Burris, Candy Burris, excuse me, Todd Tucker, Candy Burris Productions. They produce, and I think Todd co-wrote the script for the movie, I had to go back on imdb.com and look at his credits. He's actually done, Todd, that is, has done a lot of productions besides Candy. Candy's and this one. And this movie itself is made for TV. I saw, there were so many people that I recognized the guy that played the hustler in, he wasn't a hustler, he was like a promoter for Mississippi um, in P Valley. 
and Wody, um, the cousin, uh, Little Murder's cousin, I think this is his cousin, um, killed him and gave them overdose on fentanyl. I thought that was, it was, he was pretty slick about it. And he basically like suffocated to death because it went right up his nose and he took a big line. He did a pure uh, line of pure fentanyl and died. And he did it to get back at him for um, trying to rape Miss Mississippi. I also, uh, Notice that uh, Monietta played the, a lawyer as well as, uh, what's her name? Shamia played a stripper. Um, I thought everybody did an amazing job. Um, and it was funny that Candy, they were in this group of friends and Candy was, it was like Candy was acting like the Porsche of the group. Where's the liquor at? They're getting drinks, and she's the one that introduced the past um, to the group. It appears that they were like a band of grifters. And this time, he took seven years to grift this girl. I should have put like a spoiler alert um, at this section because I'm giving away all the, de the, the grueling details. It appears that the Drew Sidoris character uh, was trust fund baby. She worked in a design firm that was created by her husband's best friend who actually happened to be a lesbian. Um, and she broke all the rules of the past. She gave both of them the past. He's evidently, she, he never supposedly used his but she did and cheated on her husband. If you call it cheating, I don't know if you can call it cheating with the past, but she broke the rules with the husband's best friend. They had a really on-screen, um, there was an on-screen sex scene, and they said that Drew Sidora acted the hell out of that particular scene. They had like an intimacy coach and everything. It was also during this filming that her husband was actually banned from the set. They also finished filming. It was a short turnaround, 10 days, and it was before everybody went on strike. So with that said, because I think they didn't go on strike until a few months ago. I think it was just this summer, late spring, early summer. And then the writers have been on strike for a minute. But the, the film was our, had already wrapped, um, and then all of these things came out. I think the interaction between a whole, and it was, ended up being that he, Drew kind of gaslit him, but then he get, gaslit her when he filed for a divorce using the best lesbian friend as to set him up so she could actually get in her head that he had cheated. Technically, maybe, but not really. His whole thing was to get um, involved with her. So not only could he come after her trust fund, 
he also um, took, he also made off with alimony. The mom knew he wasn't crap. And he also got like um, a fee for the sale of a property. But it was all a freaking setup. And they walked and he walked away with nine million dollars. The whole group did. And then they at the end of the movie, they were setting up their next grift. That's what I think there's probably gonna be a part two, or we're gonna see Drew get her revenge because that was another thing. He gets into a fight because evidently he did the same thing to somebody under another name um, in Boston because he gets in the fight with either the brother or, or one of the, his ex-women's relatives. But she seemed to be okay with it. He shut that down. What I find interesting is I noticed, even though I basically said that I wasn't going to watch um, any more of Real Housewives of Atlanta, but we're only 16 episodes in, and now they're already saying this last episode was the season finale. And I also wanted to watch it because I needed to watch um, the after show because there seems to be still some tension between Drew and Candy. And there also is going to be a blow up at the, uh, the reunion, which is actually next week, because she said Candy Coded Lies. I don't think, and that is also an, a part of this whole debacle that's going on with Drew's divorce. It's not only alleging that Ralph actually cheated, it's also put out there evidently by Ralph that he's cheating on her with Ty, the ex-former girlfriend of Mimi Faust of Real um, Love and Hip Hop Atlanta fame. What I find sad and depressing is the fact that she blatantly denied that she actually made out with LaToya from a couple of seasons ago. And they were like, why did it matter? Because there's an open litigation and she's being alleged to have lesbian liaisons um, in the marriage. And all of that narrative is being spun by her husband. It just sounds so weird that they bought this house, that she's doing all of these things, that he's, if they did not have a prenup in place, or there is an infidelity clause, they got to prove something before anybody will walk away with anything. And it seems like now with her somewhat semi-fame and the royalties from her music, she has a lot more to lose because we don't know, nobody seems to know what Ralph does. Um, and he probably is gonna be vindictive and wanna be paid. But I don't think she's gonna get anywhere by telling Candy that she's a liar. I think people that go after her find themselves out on their ass. And now if there are more fans like me that we're gonna Phaedra Parks her ass, if she would just own stuff instead of telling lies, maybe people would trust her more 
but don't try to call people out and make them unsee what they saw to protect your what whatever image. You know, get over it, girl. Yeah, you got kids, but you should have thought of those things before you did what you did. So I just want for once for her to tell the entire truth and not some version of the truth and not trying to gloss over because that's what it felt like. That whole after show was a bunch of glossing over. Even this episode, and I'm going to probably watch it again, but they glossed over a lot of stuff. We don't, we, we don't get any details that the general public doesn't want to know. They're not, that's more than the blogs know. There are no late-breaking information that's going to keep people interested because it's still... It's salacious enough to be kind of interesting, but not to keep people tuning in. You know, the great Carlos King, he really needs to come back, but they really need to do some reconsideration about who to bring back and which of these ladies are going to be offered um, a, another peach for next year because this kind of um, config, the current configuration is not working. And if they're going to keep glossing over key details of the demise of this relationship, I don't care. I really don't. It's the same thing with Kenyon. Either get divorced or not, but don't keep bringing it up on the show and you're not giving me details because I literally don't care. What the guan uh, patois for what's going on? And why wouldn't I start this episode of Love and Hip Hop Miami? Uh, with that statement. I was supposed to do a formal rant on Safari because he actually has a lot of crossover appeal. He has been on every iteration of Love and Hip Hop uh, from New York to Hollywood to Atlanta, most recently Atlanta, and now he's back in Miami. Um, he actually uh, was confronted by Spice um, last episode, because evidently the viewers and even their friends in that circle are not being told the whole story. He's actually been paying Erica Mena, or he has the Zell receipts to confirm what's going on. And then she has some receipts that are not in sequential order. They're going back and forth about are they still sleeping together, blah, blah, blah. He has entered a messy relationship with Amara de Negro, another, um, she's a soca? Uh, a Latino, a black and Latino performer and hostess uh, from, also from Miami. She looks like a very uh, curvy version of Lauren Hill. She don't sound like Lauren Hill. They don't got the same pipes, but I digress. She it was in a relationship with the guy from also from the Dominican Republic, had twins, and he basically ghosted her. Um, they have been kind of flirting for a number of years. Uh, then at the ba her baby's one-year birthday party, uh, he gifted them uh, miniature Rolexes. And that's when everything blew up in Atlanta 
because Mena is going around saying how he doesn't take care of his kids, which is false. He's never with them, which is also false because he comes back supposedly every Monday. There actually are direct flights from Atlanta um, to Miami, so I could see that unless he hops on somebody's private jet. Um, I remember a couple of things that I find because this season five is looking like probably one of the messiest seasons ever. Mona Scott Young, the creator and executive producer of the series, is said she actually created this as to look into a deeper life of the women of hip hop artists. The problem with that was the especially in the New York, there was a lot of people that thought they were bigger than the guys that the rappers themselves uh, from, oh, what is it called? Um, it was a group of two rappers. They were from New Jersey, um, Jim Jones and that other guy. Um, both of their long-term girlfriends and wives, they all had money issues. They all had to file for bankruptcy, had issues and did jail time on the show. And Trick said, we have the most fun or have, it feels good taping when they just concentrate on the music. Well, this season, they are, they're dropping a lot of new music is coming out. Bounce that from Trina and Florence. And that's another source of messiness. Florence de Leche is a, um, cop what is it? A Haitian Copa, which is, uh, straight out of Haiti. And her husband, Marlon, are going through divorce because he not only cheated on her with one of her friends, he also had a relationship with her sister. Um, now he's going around with, because he has a credit on this song, he's pushing up against Joy, which is Trick Daddy's estranged wife as well as one of Trina's best friends. Messy, messy, messy. They're going to have a confrontation at the Monday night uh, uh, showcase. But it's also coming out that Florence is still messy because she hasn't complete, she's basically saying all the stuff about how her family loves Marlon, blah, 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 blah. But now she's in a same-sex relationship with some girl named Claudia. How are you going to be on the beach, uh, full beat face, weave, and lashes, and say y'all having a good time popping bottles? Like, nobody, like, Miami is not the biggest small town in the world. And how somebody's going to see something and it's going to get back, and it's just going to be messy. But I'm going to want to see how it's all going to play out. I want to see how Trina reconciles her feelings how she cut, he just looks so scrub, scruffly. And why is Trina dating this square? Because Raymond is kind of a square. And how is she going to reconcile her support of local talent by dissing that other big girl? But I think if they're going to, if, as long as that girl plays it cool and don't act too thirsty, but don't also be dismissive, 
I think that's probably going to be one of the best collabs um, for this season. And again, if they concentrate on the music, they're going to have fun and it's going to basically be one big blow up, blow out. And we're going to great. It's going to get a great mess and show before a reunion. So I'm looking forward to it. And that's all I got to say. Safari is messy. I keep people keep forgetting. He dated Nicki Minaj for a number of years. And then they broke up. And he is somewhat talented and goofy in his own right. Also, I'm not really feeling this Ray J and Prince's storyline either. What is Ray J doing but riding on scooty bikes and talking about headphones? He, I don't know if he's gotten on some good meds or he's just so beat down with life or he's just bored. But he's putting that girl through a lot that she's basically burning through a million at one, he got 1.3 million bones to be back on this show and back in Miami and keep her ass, her losing ass out of Las Vegas. That's all I got to say on that. Love and Hip Hop Miami, out of all the uh, spinoffs, is becoming one of my favorite shows to watch. I'm always interested in seeing what music uh, from, what's his name? Is he on? Chaotic. Oh, that's what I wanted to say. Gunplay. Gunplay got is a, a rap star also out of Miami. He basically went, crossed over to ATL, got clean, basically cut off his dreadlocks, um, and hooked up with a Harvard graduate who's working on her PhD in law enforcement. They had a baby that was born with a congenital heart defect. And I personally had the timelines mixed up. Evidently, the little baby was born, had all of these issues, and the girl, cre girl created a GoFundMe to let family and friends donate to her health care. She basically said it herself. Insurance is only picking up a part of the bill. Gunplay is actually helping somewhat, but she also created the GoFundMe page. The timeline was that page was created. DJ Envy from Breakfast Club Notoriety made some joke about that GoFundMe page. Then the trolls do what trolls do, go through his and hers social media and where he's gifting uh diamond chains and stuff to rick ross and some other stuff about their lifestyle you know that flashy it's lifestyle but that's all prior to that little baby uh being born that's all prior to her racking up over half probably a half a million dollars worth of medical bills unpaid um and that they're on the hook for. We got to be really careful about what we say and what we do on this platform. We got to not say things to go viral. We got to say things that could basically be damaging, not only to your ego or to someone's ego, 
but to their brand, their business, and also to their child. She need to stay, the once they need to turn off the comments or she should have basically hid her social media until all of this blows over because she has to keep saying, she, and she made a point, she has a dissertation that she needs to complete. She needs to get her child through multiple other surgeries. She don't have time to deal with the trolls on social media. I think DJ Envy needed to keep his fucking mouth shut because he's not in that family and he's not, he doesn't, he really has no nickel in that dime. Contribute to the GoFundMe page, but keep your money, you keep your uh, opinions to yourself about that family and about that little baby. Let that, let that family get through all the things that they have to get through and stop trying to make some like offhanded comment. You got to be careful what you say because it could come back to haunt you. Now this brother is spiraling, um, drinking more. And I think he started using because there was some altercation, which I have not gotten any updates on where he actually now has gunplay has a restraining order uh, against him uh, that was put up by the baby's mama. And a lot of this was triggered by the nonsense, triggered by some offhand comment that probably wasn't funny. And if it had to do anything with that little sick baby, DJ Envy, you need to be ashamed of yourself. And that's it for this episode of Ten Fro is Reading. You know, I talked cash-ish all last year. I hope the listening audience will continue to enjoy my opinion and not so subtle shade. I mean, I'm 2,000 listeners per episode in, so go run tell that, haters. I may take it on the road if I get hint-hint sponsorship. Navigate to dalesangelsinc.blog for swag and extended podcast notes. Don't forget to hit like or leave a five-star review. It gets me on top of the algorithms, and it may just get you on my show. 2023's motto is boss up and get the bag. And as always, tell a friend and thank you for listening.